16 comes before 17, so tonight we look at 17. If you grab your Bible, look at Judges chapter 17. The reason we're looking at 17 tonight, we have finished basically looking at the judges all together. The collection of judges we looked at, we saw how they were men who were flawed, but they were called by God. Some of them were extraordinary. Some of them had great power. Some of them were simply footnotes and mentioned. And now we look at how the the background of Israel is looking during the time of Judges. And actually chapter chapter 17 and 18... We'll see how it's linked to chapter number one. Now, some theologians and commentaries say actually chapter 17 is taking place in the background of chapter number one. And we'll discuss all that as we get to it. But tonight we look here in chapter 17 and we always go over the five solas. And tonight I want to remind you what the five solas are. One being the scriptures alone. The second one being faith alone. The third one being Christ alone. The fourth one being grace alone. And the fifth one being for God's glory and his glory alone. So we look in our Bible tonight in Judges chapter 17 and I'm going to tell the truth. I have known this story. I have studied this story, but I've never preached this story and when you have to learn something well enough to preach it, you'll start to dig in in the crevices and look at all the little details and tonight I was shocked uh, when I studied this. I'm going to tell you there's a twist that I did not see coming and in fact I didn't want to preach it until it was revealed to me the twist in this these two chapters. So we're going to move pretty quickly tonight as we'll get through chapters number 17 and then into 18. So let us begin here in chapter 17, verse number 1. There was a man in the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. Micah's actual name means the Lord is Jah, which is the syllable which stands for Jehovah. Now it's, it's, it's ironic. We're going to see a lot of ironic situations taking place here in this chapter as Micah now is with his mother. You're going to see how um, there's a lot of paganism and a lot of heathenism taking place in Israel at this point because in chapter number 17 verse number 2, he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, which were you uttered a curse and also spoke it in my ears. Behold, the silver is with me and I took it. At this point, the situation as we're coming into the story, there's been some money that's been embezzled and Mama's not happy. Mama's walking around the house and she's calling out curses and Micah hears the curses and they fall on his ear. However, we can look at the character of Micah for he's not above stealing and thieving anything that does not belong to him. He took the money that belonged to someone else, his own mother, and then he even admits it to her because he hears the cursings of, of, this, of this mother of his. And he actually, hello, hello, how y'all doing? Bro, Deacon, if you would, you want to show her where our kids' classes is, if you don't mind? Would that be all right, Mama? Is that all right? Kids' classes? All right. You want to walk with Deacon Will? That'd be okay. Uh, if, uh, we see here that the 1,100 uh, pieces of silver is reminiscent of what we saw back in, in Samson's time. Remember, the leaders of the Philistines, they were the ones that told Delilah, we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, we almost see here in the next two chapters that money, as you've heard, is the root of all evil. If you've probably heard that, but that's not actually 
biblical. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. Amen? Somebody that people make an idol out of filthy lucre is what the King James says. I like to just call it a cold hard cash. Money is the root. The love of money is the root of all evil. And we see here that corruption is found in the money. In Judges chapter 17, once again, Mama has placed a curse on whoever has stole the money from her, the 1,100 pieces of silver. And now she says, uttered a curse. Instead of praying, the wicked will utter a curse. Instead of crying out to God, they utter a curse, while the righteous utter a prayer. So we see here the, 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 we see the character of where Micah is living found with his mother. We see here here. Now, in verse number 4, and she goes and changes the curse. With a woman so wishy-washy, it's no wonder that Micah does the things that he does in Judges chapter 17. The 1,100 pieces of silver, and now it's being revealed that Micah took it. And now the mother said, blessed be the son by the Lord. Blessed be my son by the Lord. Instead of the cursing now, she blesses her son. This brat of a man, basically, who's Micah, is now, he's, a, he's basically being patted on the back for stealing the silver. And, and now she's going to say something that will blow your mind because of the irony behind it. That the 1,100 pieces of silver, she says, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand, from, for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. We see in verse number three that she dedicates this money now that it's been restored to her. She says, I'm going to bless and give this to God. But she dedicates the money to be a carved image, not just one image. We see that one will be cast iron and then the other will be carved probably from, probably from stone or either wood. It was carved. She was saying, I'm going to honor God. And I'm going to make much of his name and glorify him with idols is what she's saying. You say, well, that sounds ridiculous. How could this happen? How far are we from what God has commanded? How far have we gone from the plumb line? So saith the Lord. Now, therefore, I will restore to you is what Micah says in verse 3. In verse 4, so when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of the silver and gave it to the silversmith. Uh, but, but let's notice something in verse 4. She dedicated all the money. She only said, I'm going to give 1,100 pieces, but then she gave 200. Much like Sapphire that we read in the New Testament who said that she sold the land before Peter and God struck her dead. People usually talk a big talk, but when it's time to walk, they usually don't walk the line that they claim. See, see here she takes 200 of the money she claimed was dedicated to the Lord and gives it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. We see idolatry in the house of Micah, whose name means the Lord is Yah. The Lord is God. That's his name. Irony, don't you think? 
And verse number 5, And the man Micah had a shrine. This man Micah is going into business, y'all. He's going, to, he's going into religion, or some people say show business. Yes, I don't know how many entertainers I see on TV who are well-spoken. And now almost they, a lot of actors, some of my favorite actors, they have a leniency to be people who sound like preachers when they speak. Because yes, it is a gift of gab. It's all show and no go. Let me explain. They can sound like a preacher and make people excited, but there's no anointing. See, people say, well, uh, what's the difference between preaching and teaching? If you never heard preaching, then you certainly cannot discern the difference. Good preaching changes something in your soul. Teaching only gives you information, but preaching causes your hearts to stir. Like Jeremiah says in Jeremiah, that there's a fire down in my bones. Whenever the ashes are stirred and you come to life because the Spirit of the Lord moves across you and you feel like you can make it another day because God's hand is on you and He has not forsaken you. That's how you know when you hear good preaching. Amen, somebody. We see here that Micah is now gone apostate. There's a reason though because in Israel there is no king and everyone does as they wish. They do what's right in their own eyes. Do you not remember Samson just a chapter ago when he saw the prostitute and he saw the Philistine woman and he saw Delilah? That The scripture says she looks good in my eyes. She fits every box. She checks off every checklist that I want. She's good in my eyes, in my opinion. Does that not describe our society today? Does that not describe what we're going through? Everybody calls their own fouls. Everybody decides what's a strike and what's, what's offensive. People decide, I, if I want to be a, 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 a fluid gender, I'll just be a fluid gender. I could be an Apache helicopter. I'm a kitty cat. I'm a woman. I'm a man. I'm a man st- stuck in a, I'm a woman stuck in a man's body. All these things that we just decide in our own eyes what we want to do. And we see here also in Judges chapter 17, they do the same thing. Micah whose very name means God is the Lord. In verse 5, this man Micah made a shrine and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. What? Well, you know, when we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, like we do here at Riverside, we have to read the hard stuff. We don't go around it. We hold hands and walk together through it. That's the danger of going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We see all the cracks and the flaws in humanity. We don't highlight all the pretty things and talk about how special we are. We actually highlight and see how God wrote His Word to show us how depraved we are. This guy, Micah, let's just be honest and talk about it plainly. He's setting up a house of gods. He even calls one of his sons to be his priest. Wow, let's just take a moment. If you hadn't read this beforehand, this should shake you a little bit. He has no fear of the one true God, or maybe he does know that what the one true God says, that you will love the one true God and Him alone, and Him alone do you serve. But a lot of people know the gospel. A lot of people know what says the Bible says, and yet they live however they want because they're apostate. They deny Christ. And we'll talk about more of that on Sunday as we study Hebrews together. But we see here, Inside the house of God's, he has set up a carved image. He has an ephod. He has a shrine. 
He has household gods and he ordains one of his sons. When you ordain someone, what you're saying is, I, I give this person permission. I, I back what they're saying. They have, they have authority over my life. He ordains one of his children, probably the oldest of his sons, to become his priest. This priest is to be an intercessor, someone who prays for them and goes before them as a mediator between these gods that he has created. We laugh at this. How can he have little gods and serve them? But we have our own little gods, don't we? Let's be honest. Some of them come in little boxes that we keep in our pocket. They look like cell phones. Some of us look like cigarettes. Some of us look like they're in a bottle with a bag over. Some of them find our gods in a medicine cabinet. Some of our little gods run around as our grandchildren and our children. We love and serve them. The only reason we exist is for our kids. Some of us worship our jobs. Some of us live for our spouses. Some of us live for our friends. Those are good things. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, there's a lot wrong with that, but there's nothing wrong with having good things. But when you make a good thing, a God thing, that's a bad thing. Micah has a house of gods. So let us not be quick to laugh at Micah and the situation that Israel finds itself in. I want you to take inventory of your own life right now. Think about that one thing right now that you could not live without. Let me use an example. If I were to use my words and say, big red ball, in your mind you would see a big red ball. So I'm using my words right now. What is that one thing you could not live without? You would not want to carry on and carry on any longer. That your reason for existing is now snatched from you. If that one thing was taken from you, that, that is your idol. That is what you live for. That's your idol. And if it ain't Jesus tonight, I'm telling you, smash it. Lay it at the altar and say, God, I want to prioritize my life and put you at the head. You are the potter and I am the clay. My life and my existence, all that I am is for you and your glory. If it ain't God tonight, you're having a life that's serving idols and things that are smaller than the one true God. So take an inventory. That's our intro. Let's continue. Here at the house of Micah, he makes a shrine. His son is a priest. In verse 6, we see how this could happen. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what's right in his own eyes. Everyone did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Even in our culture, there's this phrase that says, I'm just living my truth. I'm living my truth. That means if it's good for you, it may not be good for me, but you do you and I do me, baby. That's what it means. Living your truth. The truth is not relative. That means that it's true over here and it's not true over here, but it's kind of true. The truth is truth all across the board. And if something's true, then something has to be wrong. Amen? Amen. And we here at Riverside believe with the highest authority that the Bible is true. Amen. There are other documents that are true. The Bill of Rights, the Constitution, those things are wonderful. But this is divinely inspired that God spoke. And these are His words. I can't read His mind, but I can read His Word. Amen, somebody. We see here that everyone did what's right in his own eyes. How many times have we done that? How many times have we done what's right in our own eyes? Without even 
questioning or crying out to God, Lord, should I do this? Teach me the way I ought to go. What path should I go? Oh, I think we should do that. I think I should do this. I think you should do that. Everyone did what's right in their own eyes. Now, we read that, and if y'all remember way back, I don't know, a couple of months ago, we did Judges chapter number 1. But right before Judges chapter number 1 was Joshua. And in Joshua 24, Joshua was dying. And he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And now we read all the way back here in Judges chapter 17. That's a lot of study and that's a lot of pages we've turned. However, it wasn't very long ago, chronologically, that Joshua died. It's not been hundreds of years. Even though the book of Judges, we can account, if we count up all the time, it's about 300 to 400 years. And you would think at this point that they simply drifted from God in those three to 400 years. But no! As we keep on studying, you see that Joshua had just recently died. These things took place in the background from chapter, chapter 2 on to chapter 17. And just like that, they went apostate. Just like that. It's almost as if it was sudden. A house of gods has now established itself in Ephraim. Because people did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king. And that's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Because Israel has a king. The Lord is to be their king. They're a theocracy. That God reigns in Shiloh at this point. Because Jerusalem has not been settled. They were to worship Him and serve Him only. To live and honor Him. But now apostate, walking away from God, calling their own shots, much like our forefathers did, our founding people in our humanity, Adam and Eve, they just decided that they called their own shots. They ate from the tree of good and evil. They just decided, hey, this is what we're going to do. That we're the masters of our own destiny. And if I know anything about me, I make bad decisions. I make bad choices. I look over my shoulder in my life and I see the, the trail of broken promises and broken lives and people who I've hurt and even hurt myself. So let me not lean into my own understanding. And all my ways acknowledge Him. This might sound foreign to you. Maybe you've been living your life by your own grit and your own mentality and you've been sly and able to figure it out yourself. How's that going? How's that working out for you? Well, pretty good. Well, we'll see here that Micah believes that now that he has a, a priest and that God will bless him even though he's apostate, even though his mama con commissioned that the idol worship is going to honor God, he's starting to believe even in his prosperity that God must be pleased with him. Let us look in verse number 7. Now, there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite. And he sojourned there. Well, we must understand, this man remains unnamed until later. This young man is in the Judah area, and that's not one of the places that the Levites are supposed to be at. Now, he's a Levite. 
And what we must understand about the Levites is they didn't have uh, their own property and areas. They had certain cities. I believe there was 96 cities that they were allowed to live in. But they were to be supported by the tribes of Israel. They were to be basically loved and supported financially, looked after, because the Levites served God. They didn't spend their days herding. They didn't spin fabric and take wool from the animals or have a dairy farm. They were to supply servitude to the house of the Lord. But we find this Levite walking around, wondering. The reason being is because the children of Israel were not following God. They were not honoring God. So this young Levite, he's looking for work. He has to or he's starving. And this shows you the mentality of the people of Israel at this point. They've gone apostate. To put it Old Testament lyrics, they are whoring after other gods. Simply exposing themselves to gods that did not supply for them. Gods that are deaf and blind and mute. Gods that they fashioned with their hands. Would you not understand if God were to strike them down because they've been unfaithful to Him? But the story unfolds farther. And in fact, it doesn't even end there because our God is long-suffering. Our God is patient. He's kind and He's merciful. I want you to take a moment and think about you at your worst when you think it was your worst. When God should have killed you in your sleep, but He did not. He awakened you. He showed you grace and mercy. Amen. Can we just take a moment and marinate on that? God is patient and kind. He's much kinder than I am. He's more forgiving than I am. He's long-suffering. People aggravate me. Let me tell you. ain't none of y'all. Let me tell you. People just aggravate me. And I want to cut them out of my life. But what if Jesus did that? He got rid of everybody that aggravated him or crossed him the wrong way. And I want to be more like Jesus, y'all. He's still working on me. You might say, well, who's preaching? What is wrong with it? Can't y'all get a better preacher? Now, this is what you get right here. This is it. We see here that this young man was of the family of Judah. And he sojourned there. In verse number 8, The man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. I'm sure he probably heard that there's a house of gods. Hey, you looking for, you looking for work, young man? Well, I know you're of the Levite tribe. There's a house of gods in the hill country in Ephraim. Go there. Go there and serve If he was a real Levite, he'd probably go there and burn the house down. Wouldn't you believe? Wouldn't he call Micah and his his family to the carpet and accuse them of heresy, rising up the rest of the tribes of Israel to stone the heretic? But y'all, that ain't what happens. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah. And I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, Stay with me and be to me a father and a priest. And I will give you ten pieces of silver a year, a suit of clothes, and your living. Now we look at number 10, chapter 10, verse number 10, chapter 17, and we think, that's a pretty good deal. 
deal. I mean, you're getting paid. You're going to, he's going to take care of you. Micah is offering a good deal. But in light of it all, a faithful Levite lives much better than this. A faithful Levite who honors God and can lay his head on his pillow at night with no guilt. I tell you, a clean conscience is a soft pillow. I'll say that again for somebody who didn't catch what I said because I talk kind of fast. A clean conscience is a soft pillow. Amen. I thought I'd get an amen if you heard it again. Here this Levite is going to compromise. He's looking for work in Micah. He's offering him a lucrative deal. Some people, all they got is money. That's all they got. I think you understand what I'm saying. All they got is their money. I won't even go on a tirade on that. You understand. They said, oh, song. He says, more money, more problems. Boy, that ain't ain't the truth. Here Micah offers him a good living, a place to stay. You don't have to journey anymore. Come to work for me in the house of the gods. He wanted to know where he was going. He finds out that he's a Levite. And you know, that's a big deal if you can get a Levite to be in your house of gods. That gives you legitimacy, that you're legit. You're the real deal. I've got a real priest here now. Not just my son, but I've got a Levite of the tribe of Levi. Micah is being blessed. Micah has had the heavens pour out prosperity on him. He's a rich man. Now he is the owner of the house of God and he has a priest. We might even say he's blessed. Well, did you know the devil could bless you? Did y'all know that? Did did y'all know the devil could bless you? Did he not take Jesus up to the highest point of the earth and say, look at all these nations. I'll give them all to you. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. The devil will bless you. He'll bless you so well that you don't have time for Jesus. The devil will prosper you and give you an easy life and you can ride your lazy boy right on into hell. He will give you that raise at that job so you can't find time to go to church because you're chasing that almighty dollar. He'll give you that nice house as long as you don't visit God's house. He, he will bless you. Jesus said... Does it not rain on the just? No, he didn't finish there. You didn't catch me. I said, never trust the preacher. He says, it rains on the just and the unjust. Now, biblical times, rain was considered good for their agriculture. They needed rain. They needed rain for their crops. So if it rains on the just and the unjust, that means only the point that God is good, even to those who don't deserve it. So if you look at your neighbors and your friends and those who are wicked, God is good to them because they're still breathing the same air you are. They get grace and mercy every day. Really, we should weep for them because this is as close to heaven as they'll ever get. Micah believes that he is finding pleasure and grace from God because he's doing these idolatrous and apostate things. And that gives him legitimacy that he looks good in the eyes of God. And God's favor is on him because he can count his blessings as well as his blessings in his pocket. He's living the good life. His collection is complete. He's got a Levite priest now. He's got a house of gods. And we see that in the text. 
in verse number 10, And Micah said to him, Stay with me, and be a father and a priest. And I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes for your living. And the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite. The young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. That speaks directly what we learned this past Sunday in Hebrews. As we spoke about Jesus being our high priest and the author of Hebrews being Paul saying that you just don't aspire to be a high priest. You don't just say, well, I'm a priest. I, I ordain myself. That is appointed by God. But here Micah, under his own power and authority, ordains this Levite as a priest. A wicked people deserve a wicked preacher. Usually Calvin, John Calvin tells us that a wicked, a wicked nation gets wicked rulers. And it walks it, if we walk it backwards even further, wicked families get wicked pastors. Wicked pastors who stand in the pulpit, not necessarily with horns and a pitchfork, but to tell the people anything they need to hear. Oh, you, you live in an alternative lifestyle? Keep on, that's okay. God loves everybody. Love is love. Rainbows, all that stuff. Oh, you're, you're, you're sleeping with your neighbor? No problem. God still loves you. God is love. God don't mind. He's going to turn the other eye as long as you keep dropping those 20s in the tithing envelopes. God don't mind. He never calls the people to the carpet to repent of their sins, even their prayerlessness, their unholy, sanctified lives. He never mentions those things because a wicked people, what a wicked prophet. And that's what Micah has here. But we're not done. Michael ordained the Levite and the young man became his priest at the house of Micah. And Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. I know God will prosper me at this point because now I've completed the collection. The Hindu gods that I've seen where they have shrines. There's 550 million Hindu gods. They worship rats, donkeys, and oxen. They even have a place for Jesus in their shrines because they believe Him to be one of their gods. That's a lot of praying, y'all. Let me just be honest. We as Christians believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we don't even pray to Him. How much do Hindus pray? Micah is just covering all the bases. But he's not serving the one true God, but he believes that the one true God is blessing him. In all actuality, truly it's the enemy blessing him. He's apostate. He knows the truth because he says, I have a Levite as a priest. So he must know what the Torah teaches, what Moses showed us, so saith the Lord, how Aaron is installed as a priest. He must know that. Now we pick up in Judges chapter 18. The story has been laid down. The, the footwork has been done. And we're going to move quickly because in my Bible there's about a page and a half. So let us begin with the Danites. See, in Micah's family, apostasy took place. And now we'll see how it expands like gangrene, like cancer. A whole tribe will have to deal with apostasy. When I say apostasy, you, you say, what do you mean apostasy? That means to mix pagan and unholy things with things of God. To not to be exactly right. When you have discernment, it's to know the difference between right and almost right. 
A preacher can stand in the pulpit and sound good, but unless you handle your Bible daily, you will be able to discern if what he's saying is true because there's a lot of silver-tongued preachers. I ain't, I ain't one of those. I, I could barely speak plain English. That's why I don't use King James. I can't even say half the words. Let's be honest. But here, we see how the family falls. The clan will fall. The nation falls. It all begins... In the household. You and I say, well, I live alone. Nobody lives alone. You have neighbors. You have influences over somebody at work. You, no one lives alone. Even God's there. Amen. Amen. Uh, families who live together, that's where worship begins. That's why many people don't go to church with family worship because they're not worshiping at home whatsoever. So why come to a corporate place to worship with other families when they're not even worshiping all week long? But we won't get into that. Judges 18. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Once again, we're reminded by Samuel, who wrote the book of Judges. Samuel reminds us there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan were seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. Wait a minute. Where are we at in time here? Because when Joshua died, didn't he allot everybody some land? Do y'all remember that when you were here? We talked about Joshua and he said, well, this part of the country goes to this part and that country goes. Well, back in Judges chapter number 1, if you'll turn there quickly, let's go there quickly. Judges chapter number 1. I'm going to show you where we are in the timeline. Judges chapter number 1. Looking at verse 34. This is how close we are to the death of Joshua. In Judges chapter number 1 verse 34, the Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country for they did not allow them to come down to the plain. And, and these verses here, I believe is 29 on down to 36, we hear about the tribes who did not go forth and do what God commanded. They were limp-wristed. They had a wishbone where their backbone should be. They didn't go forth and conquer where God had told them to conquer. And now we see in verse 34, the Amorites kept them out. But weren't they commanded by God to go in and conquer? Didn't the lot fall for them to go there? Doesn't the Scripture says, My inheritance has fell in pleasant places that God had ordained for them to go into that area and conquer it. But they did not. So now we turn back to Judges chapter 18. And those days... We see where the Amorites have kept Dan out of the promised land that their inheritance was supposed to be. But they just couldn't, y'all. They couldn't beat the Amorites. They just, you know why? It's not that the Amorites were better fighters, that they were more courageous and brave. It's because Dan, the tribe, would not trust God. They did not trust God. Their faith in God wavered. So now they had no inheritance. And that's where we find ourselves in chapter 18. But it was just like yesterday that Joshua told them, here's your land, go get it. The land flowing with milk and honey. And now they're a wandering tribe. They don't have their inheritance from God. So what do they do? They do what any of us do. We're going to try to help God out. I know God... We didn't go get our promised land. This is a, this is, this is a little bit better. I'm, we're going to work this. We're going to figure this thing out. How many times have we seen that in Scripture? 
Wasn't Abraham promised a, 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 an heir to be someone who will bless the nations? So what does his wife do to help out God? Gives him a slave girl, Hagar, and they had a child named Ishmael to help God out. All that did, y'all, was complicate things. How many times do we try to help God? Hey, God, I know I've been praying a long time for this, but I'm going to do this. I'm just going to go and try to help you because you're, you're a little slow, God. And all we do is mess things up. Here, Dan is looking for a place to indwell an inheritance. In verse number 2, it says, The people of Dan set able, five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah to Estal, to spy out the land, to explore it. And said to them, Go and explore the land. And they come to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah and lodged there. They're there now, close to the house of God's, these five spies. When they were by the house of Micah, I want you to really note verse number 3. When they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. Now how in the world would a tribe that's further north near the northern borders of Israel, even notice the voice of this young Levite. How in the world? And you know, for years, I was like, I don't know why it says that, and I kept right on reading. I didn't ponder it, and I didn't think about it. But tonight, we're going to answer that question. In verse number 3, And they turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he said to them, this is, now, is this how Micah has dealt with me? He has hired me, and I have become his priest. And they said to him, Inquire of God, please, that we might know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And you see how quick verse 6 comes up. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The journey on which you go in is under the eye of the Lord. Now, without a doubt, that is true. That God is everywhere and He sees everything. But they asked this corrupt priest, they asked him, pray to God, see if what we're going to do is what God wants. And he answers what God sees. He answered quickly. These corrupt, unfaithful men are not asking and inquiring an unfaithful Levite to pray on their behalf. And he gives them exactly what they want, the answer that they want. In verse 7, the five men departed and came to Leash and saw the people who were there. How they lived in security after the man, manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspect, unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth. And how they were from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. They go to this town upper north. In fact, that's the very tip of Israel, the northern part. They find these isolated people. They spy them out and see how they live independently. In verse number 8, And they came to their brothers at Zorah and Estal. Their brothers said to them, What do you report? They said, Arise, and let us go up against them, for they have seen, we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go to enter and possess the land. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it to us in His hands. A place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. 
Look at this glowing report these five spies give back to the tribe of Dan. This place is the hookup. We need to go here. They got plenty of room and anything we need. All we got to do, go do is sack the city and take it for ourselves. With much confidence they do this. When they had no confidence to listen to God in the first place to get the inheritance that He has allotted to them. They simply settle. They trust in their own abilities at this point. For God tells them, I will be with you. Don't be afraid. Back in Joshua's time, which was just a couple of days or maybe a couple of years while this is going on. How many times do we do that? We settle. When God tells us, I'll give you peace. Not as the world gives, but as I give. But we settle for temporary peace, whether it's in a pill bottle or in a bottle with a bag. We, we settle for a peace that's a piece of chicken from a buffet. That those endorphins and those chocolates that we eat run through our, bl- our, bl- our blood vessels and our, our mind and they, our eyes roll back and we're excited about the temporary peace that this world has to offer when we can find our joy and peace in Christ. Well, that don't preach very well, not in a Baptist church. Because we love to eat. And look at your preacher. I know I do too. And I'm going to buffet my body like Paul says to find my joy and peace in Christ and Christ alone. That I won't disqualify myself. That I'll serve Him. He, they tell Him, they tell the people of Dan, this is a great place that there's no lack of anything. And then verse number 11, the 600 of men of the, the 600 of the tribe of Dan armed with weapons of war set out for Zorah and Estal. And went up and encamped at Kiresh Jerem in Judah on this account that the place is called Mahadan to this day. Behold, it's west of Kiresh Jerem. And they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Now you might say, why are they on their way to Micah? Well, these five spies have heard about the prophecy that this young preacher gave them. And they believed that God was blessing them. Even though God had already commanded them to do something different. In verse 14, And the five men who had gone to the scout the country of Laish said to their brothers, Do not know that in these houses there is an ephod, household gods, a carved image and metal image? Now therefore consider what you will do. And they turned aside and came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and asked about his welfare. In verse 16, now the 600 men of the Danites armed with their weapons of war stood by the entrance of the gate. And the five men who had gone in to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod and the household gods and the metal image. While the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. So the five men go into the house of the gods. The young priest is there with the 600 men and they're just talking about the weather, the last bas- basketball game they saw. They're just small talk. By the five, the five men and go into the house of the gods and start to sack it. They take the carved image, the ephod. And if you remember, we studied the ephod back in the book of Exodus. The ephod was a, an apron that had a black stone and a white stone. And the way they would ask God questions on the spot about uh, if we should do this or go forward or cease or uh, make camp here. They would reach in the high priest behind the breastplate and pull out a rock. And the rock will be white or black. That means yes or no. They had their own ephod here. 
Of course, that's got to be an advantage. They had their own priest. They had their own carved images. And this young prophet told us to go sack this country, that God is watching us. So he must be important. In verse 18, And they and when these went into Micah's house and took the card image and the ephod, the household God and the metal image, the priest said to him, What are you doing? Not saying stop. He was saying, What are you intending to do? And they said to him in verse 9, Keep quiet. Put your hand over your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. It is better for you to be a priest of a house of one man or the priest to a tribe and a clan of Israel. Listen, young man, you can stay here in this little run-down town or you can come and be a priest to a whole clan. He's got ambitions, y'all. He started cooking the fries. In a little while, he's going to be running the franchise. He's, he's excited. So we see in verse 20, And the priest's heart was glad. Any preacher who's in it for the money, you don't need to listen to. Anyone who will fleece the flock, or the way I put it, pimp the flock, to pad his pocketbook, is a hireling. And once trouble comes your way, they'll run. Because they're simply a hiring. They're not one to be invested in the congregation. That's what Jesus said. That He is the good shepherd. This young Levite goes where he smells the money. And his heart was glad. And he took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people. God will give you exactly what you want. If you want a preacher who will tickle your ears, pour sugar down your throat until you get spiritual diabetes and you go spiritually blind and your spiritual feet rot off and you sit right in your pew and die and go to hell because that's what you want. But if God is to show you mercy, He'll send you a preacher who's a little bit crazy throwing some dirt and a whole lot of Bible and he'll stand here and tell you that Jesus forgives sinners to examine your life to live holy and righteous without cause for God to hold any offense before you that you live blameless before God that you examine every area of your life like David said I have lived perfectly before you not that David was perfect but he is adhering to God's standards and his laws and he's walked holy before God I tell you, that don't preach. People don't like to hear that. Tell me how I have prosperity, financial independence. Tell me how God is going to pour out His blessings on me. Tell me how God loves me even though I hate Him. Tell me how He takes time for me even though I don't take time for Him unless it's Easter or Christmas or we're eating. Tell me, tell me how He loves me, preacher. This young prophet goes he goes along and they carry off these gods and you'll notice in verse 20 those gods is a lowercase g because that's how you describe these little gods and they come in verse 21 so they turned and departed putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them so they're expecting someone to come after them because they have sacked a couple of places and now the goods are in front and they're going behind they're not going to drive them hard because they're protecting their investment 
But we see in verse 22, when they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the house near Micah's house were called out and they overtook the people of Dan. Oh, it's about to get real. This is about to go down. Dan versus the house of Micah. And they shouted to the people of Dan. They turned around and said to Micah, What is the matter with you that you come out in such a company? And he said to them, You have taken my gods. <laughs> you don't see that? He took my gods. Uh, oh, y'all don't find I find that very funny. These little gods that Micah created with his hands, he calls them gods. He took my gods, the things that protect me, the things that I fashioned with my hands. You took them from me. Isn't it ironic in Romans chapter 8 when our God tells us that nothing will separate us from the love of God? No tribulation, no famine, no sword, no height, nor death will separate us from His love. They simply walked into Micah's house and took his gods. <laughs> Nothing will separate me from my God. Nothing. Amen. If you want to learn more about that, we're going to study that in depth this Sunday at 10 o'clock. I want to invite you to be here. You probably never heard it the way it's actually printed in our Scripture in context. But you take my gods... And, and the priest, and go away. What have I left? How do you ask me? What does this matter with you? And the people of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall, fall upon you, and you lose your life and the lives of your household. They say in verse 25, Hey, uh, Michael, you better shut up. I mean, I'm saying, hey, you come in here, you get a little loud, they're going to put you in the dirt. They're not above killing Micah. In verse 26, And the people of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. In verse 26, we don't hear of Micah anymore. He fades into history. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priests who belonged to him and came to Laash to a people quiet and unsuspecting and struck them down with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer there because it was far from Sidon and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rob. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it. And they turned to sit, they named the city Dan, the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. But the city of the, the the city was Leash at first. Now pay close attention, as you'll see the twist here tonight. In verse thirty, and the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves, and Jonathan, the son of Jerusalem, son of Moses, and his sons were the priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of captivity in the land. Now I've read that before. And if you're reading King James, it actually says Manasseh there instead of Moses. If you want to grab a King James in the pew before you, or if you have a parallel, I want to show you something that, that really struck me. 
In your Bible, it says Moses or Manasseh. Which is it, preacher? Well, the Bible tells us that in my ESV, it's Moses here, and there's a reason. For to be written in Hebrew, the Hebrew person who wrote this, which is Samuel, he wrote Moses because this is Jonathan, the grandson of Moses. But in the King James, it says Manasseh. So whenever they translated the Bible, they saw where it was in Hebrew. To change the word Manasseh to Moses, all you need is a, 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 an N, a Hebrew tittle called an N that's above the baseline. And whenever biblical scholars who wrote the Torah, those scribes who wrote this, they were so embarrassed that the grandson of Moses would go apostate. They put an N above the name of Moses and it was transcribed to Manasseh. It could go either way. Now, if you don't know your biblical history, in the book of Kings and later, Manasseh was a wicked king who rose up, who was an apostate, an heretic before God. He was a king of Israel and he hated God. So they put the name Manasseh to consider somebody a follower of Manasseh. They said that was despicable. In fact, they probably said the name of Manasseh and spit on the ground, much like we do with Hitler. We say Hitler, and well, most of us used to, but not anymore. Some people worship him. But now we see here that we learn who this young Levite is. He's Jonathan, the grandson of Moses. Do you not see that his grandfather, Moses, was the lawgiver to Israel? That through Moses, God led the children of Israel out of Egypt, walked them through the Red Sea, was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Moses would go into the tabernacle and see God face to face as if he was his friend. He would give him the oracles and he was the lawgiver. He gave him the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. But his grandson, his grandson, look at what he did. He leads a whole clan into idolatry. But it's not finished there. In verse 31... No, in verse 30 he says, And his sons were the priests to the tribes of Danites until the day of captivity of the land. The captivity of the land. How long is that? Well, some people say it's when Assyria came in and took the land. Or it could be later on when we read in the book of Samuel when Eli is standing there and they capture the ark. And the Philistines rule over the children of Israel. Either way, it's a hundreds or so years that Jonathan leads the tribe of Dan into apostasy. The grandson of Moses. I want you to understand that godliness and holiness is not genetic. Just because your grandma loved Jesus don't mean you will. You will not be a grandson to God. You're not just born into the family physically. Holiness does not go through our DNA into our children. Well, you might say, well, we've got to remember who Moses' father-in-law was, who was Jethro. Y'all remember when we studied Jethro? That he was a high priest of Midian. And he married Zephora. And Zephora probably had pagan ways. 
And we remember back in the book of Exodus when Moses sent away his family while he dealt with the things going on in the wilderness. And Jethro and the family of Zipporah and his kids grew up away from Moses, but eventually they, they assembled back together and the family was reunited in the land of Israel without Moses because he died outside of Israel. So now the family of Moses is there. Do you remember earlier in this chapter when the Danites, they understood and heard the voice of the Levite and they recognized it? It's because they knew he's the grandson of Moses. Hey, that's Moses' kid. He, he must be doing something right. Hey, could you inquire to God for us? And would you tell us if God has ordained this, what we're doing? Just because Billy Graham was holy and loved God, don't mean his kids will. Just because you love Jesus, don't mean your babies will. Jethro raised his children to be pagans. And I don't read anywhere when Moses cracked a whip on Jethro or Zippor. And now generations roll in and the whole tribe has gone apostate. And Jonathan's riding the wave of his grandfather Moses. And now Shiloh, we see in verse 31, so they set up Micah's carved image that was made as long as the house of God was in Shiloh. In verse 31, it proves to me that the house of God still stood in Shiloh. That's where God's temple was or the tabernacle. That's where worship was supposed to take place. And the Danites would say, well, Shiloh's so far away, y'all. We could go right over here where Jonathan, that's Moses' grandkid, and all his priests are there. And we could worship there because it's convenient. Later on, Jeroboam, who will cause the, the, the country of Israel to split into two, the northern and the southern, Jeroboam was set up a temple around this area. And he will even implore, even hire the descendants of Jonathan to be priests yet again. And he would answer to the people of Israel who were still faithful to God. Hey, don't go to Jerusalem. Stay right here. It's too far to go. It's convenient to go here. Sometimes we make church so convenient... It ain't even necessary no more. What do you mean, preacher? Now we stream our services. We got podcasts. People think they can stay home and hit play on the preacher and just hear a sermon and a word and then go on with their life, not being connected to the body. But does not the Bible say, deny not the assembly together? Doesn't it say that? There's a reason behind that. That we are to be invested into one another, to be a family, to know each other, know each other's names, to be concerned when somebody's not around. Hey, have you heard from sister and brother so and so? How are they doing? I don't know, but I'm going to check on them. I, I, we're part of a family. We're walking in a pilgrimage together. You're saying, well, I feel disconnected. Well, have you reached out? Hey, well, phones work both ways. Let's just be honest. I just call it like it is. Have you reached out? Hey, how are you doing? Uh, even though you didn't inquire of me, I want to know how you're doing. Don't hold it begrudgingly. The Bible says, let us stir up one another. To good works. Let us not have selfish ambition. What's in it for me? There ain't nothing in it for you. It's all for Jesus. Amen. Somebody needs to hear this on the podcast and watch it on television. Church ain't for you. It's for His glory. To honor His name. 
What kind of services do you provide? Do you have child care? Do you have valet parking? Is there air conditioning and heating? Lord, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? We can beam the preaching into your computer, your cell phones. We can beam it on your TV now. But people's hearts are far from God, so their feet are far from church. And that's the truth. I didn't call anybody here to pick on anybody tonight, but we try to we try to rationalize it. We try to say, well, we got Billy Graham's grandchild we listen to on the internet, or we got so and so who's anointed over here. That, but God has called you to the local church, the local body, to get a part of the local body, to do something for Him. Well, what could I do? <laughs> well, let me give you just a little example, and it made a whole difference. In the whole world, just this preacher. Today I was, I was pretty low going thinking about some stuff. And somebody texts me something out of the blue. And I don't talk to this person quite much, hardly ever. And they sent a song, said, keep on for Jesus. Keep. And they go to our church. And I tell you, it made the difference in the world to me. Y'all made me cry, but stop. It mattered. You might say, well, I'm going to text them. That's fine. I didn't, I didn't tell you that to text me later, but I'm telling you, you matter. You matter. You're, you're infecting someone. Someone's encouraged by you being here tonight. Someone is happy you're here tonight. Someone is celebrating that you're here. And I do hope that you walk away knowing that there's a God in heaven in spite of you taking advantage of His grace and His mercy, in spite of you, still loves you. Oh, that's good. Can you say that again, preacher? Because I like that part. I, okay. In spite of you, He still loves you. Even though here in Judges we see they're doing some stupid stuff. But we just as stupid. We do all the dumb things too. We're tempted by sin. We chase after other gods, honoring them and not Him. Giving them credit and not Him credit. We'll give credit to the lawyer. We'll give credit to the president. We'll give credit to the vaccine. we credit to the face mask. We'll give credit to six foot distancing. But we won't give Him credit. Give Him glory. Give Him honor. If it were not for the Lord who was on my side, I don't know where I'd be. Amen. Give Him glory tonight. Praise His holy name. So there's a lot that we can glean here in Judges chapter 18 tonight. And I want to encourage you now that you know who this young Levite is to even go home and read it again. That the twist is revealed. It's like a good movie, a good story. Go back in chapter 17 and read again about how he was wandering around. Even though he was Moses' grandson who should have been honoring God, working in Shiloh. But no, he goes and looks for a better job, with better aspirations. He wants a promotion. He's... Chasing filthy lucre instead of shepherding God's people. Even if he's got to ride a skateboard to church. He, he wants a BMW. He wants something that uh, be stylish. Now that you understand that you see the context, it hits a little different. Y'all, y'all can vote me out tomorrow. That's okay. God will put me somewhere else. To a people who will receive God's Word. I ain't being mean just for the sake of being mean. You need to hear this. You don't need to hear sugar. You need to hear the good and the bad. Rightly dividing the Word of God. Because you'll go find a preacher who will patty cake with you and tell you everything you want to hear. And you'll ride your pew right on into hell. 
But God loves you to give you someone who will tell you the truth. Look you in the face and love you with a smile on His face and even tears in His eyes and tell you to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. I'll say it again. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. Your sins are things that you hold in your arms that are lead bars and are driving you down to the pits of hell unless you release them. You'll bust hell wide open. Let's pray. Fathers, we have gathered here tonight. I know this is not one of those...